You're listening to episode 61 with Michael Hamilton, leading international strategy at Walmart. You're listening to The Multiplier Effect, an Endeavor podcast. Welcome back, listeners, to an all-new episode of The Multiplier Effect. This week, as we continue sharing some of our exclusive content from Endeavor's annual summit, we invite Michael Hamilton to the show. Michael leads international strategy at Walmart, and as a senior business leader and entrepreneur with 25-plus years of success in growing new and expanding markets, Michael helps us tackle entrepreneurs' biggest challenges in preparing your sales team for global expansion. Prior to Walmart, he led corporate development for a $16 billion revenue corporation with four global business units and 15,000 employees operating in over 70 countries. And in this episode, he helps guide entrepreneurs by sharing tactical initiatives he has implemented over his career to support corporate, group, and business unit levels across various geographies. So Janem, take it away. Hi, my name is Janem Arkan, and I am the Managing Director of Endeavor's Heartland offices in Northwest Arkansas and Tulsa. Before we kick off this session, I want to make a quick announcement. At the summit, today and tomorrow, we are focused on hiring for scale. And in conjunction with that, we are excited to launch our very own Endeavor Job Board platform. Endeavor's automated job board and private talent network is aimed at creating more connectivity among our Endeavor entrepreneurs and ensuring access to the right introductions to scale your company. And if you want to work for some of the fastest growing companies within Endeavor's North Atlantic offices, connect with us on the Endeavor job board using the globe icon on the left of your screen to learn more. Our team will be there in between sessions for any questions you may have, and stay tuned for more exciting features to come. Okay, I am so excited to introduce Michael Hamilton, one of our mentors and a senior director of international strategy at Walmart where Michael develops and advises on global strategic planning activities. Previously, Michael co-founded and was CEO of Signature Health, the business he successfully exited in 2020. Before Signature Health, he was vice president of corporate strategy with Principal Financial Group. He led corporate development for the $16 billion revenue corporation with four global business units and 15,000 employees operating in over 70 countries. Prior to that, Michael served as founder and CEO of Hamilton Consulting International, advising clients on exploration and execution of strategic planning, sales, and marketing in the UK, Switzerland, and the US. Michael has also held various senior leadership, sales, and corporate development roles at John Ryan Performance, Carlson Companies, Target Corporation, and Honeywell International. He is a current board member, as well as a lifetime member of the National Black MBA Association, and a member of the Executive Leadership Council and serves on the board of directors for the University of Northern Iowa College of Business. So besides being incredibly busy, Michael is joining us today to discuss the most effective way to scale your business globally with the right sales team in place. So let's get to it. Michael, you spent your career as a founder or working for Fortune 500 companies, thinking about and executing on strategic planning, international sales and marketing expansion efforts. So. Mm-hmm. With our, with our listeners being Endeavor entrepreneurs who are always thinking big, give us some context around the best 
practices that you have learned for companies to manage global sales teams? Well, Jadem, thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. I appreciate you asking me to participate in this, this forum this morning. You know, when I think about the best practices for managing a global team and expansion, I have to go back to the reason I started Hamilton Consulting in 2009. The premise and the hypothesis was there are a lot of entrepreneurs in the U.S. that want to expand their business and try to do so in an international forum. The opportunity was, how can I play that role? I'd worked outside the U.S., in the U.K. specifically for years, and I knew a little bit about the market. I knew more about the U.S., but a, lot, a little bit about the U.K., and I decided to take a chance. And I leveraged the fact that I knew how U.S. companies operated and expanded from a, just from an internal standpoint went to the UK and I effectively played the sixth man. I was the person that, you know, Acme Incorporated from Toledo, Ohio would call and say, I need to find customers, I need to identify the market dynamics, I need to understand the competitive nature, I need to understand where I can get manufacturing set up. And I was that person on the ground for these organizations. And I'll tell you, you know, that you can look at it one of two ways. I'd say about 75% of my clients decided that they it wasn't in their best interest at the time to expand internationally, but they were very happy with the service I provided because I was able to get them to that answer a lot more, a lot more quickly and a lot more economically than the traditional mistake that most companies make, which is to send a person, put them in country and say, go figure it out. And if anybody knows the cost of an expat, an expat assignment is ridiculous and you want it to be successful. But again, if you look at a 75% non-success rate, I don't call it failure, non-success rate, you would be remiss to spend those dollars without learning the market ahead of time. So in short, it, it's really an answer about how do you learn the market? How do you understand the dynamics? And how do you make the most economical decision for market entry? So when you think about that from your consulting perspective, now mm -hmm. put on your Fortune 500 company perspective and right. you think about our scaling companies, you have a lot more resources to do that in a much larger corporation. What are, you know, what are the lessons learned for uh, bigger companies who have a lot more resources, who are ready, who are actually ready to do that, to take that next step? What should they be thinking about? What are some lessons learned for them? Well, I'll tell you, you know, I, as you mentioned, I work at Walmart International Strategy. And when we look toward market expansion, you look best practices, you look for partners. And again, it's the same premise. You really can't go into a market cold without having either some experience or leveraging a relationship with a partner in country that knows those dynamics. The one thing I realized working across Europe, even, with, even within Europe, Italy, Germany, France, Switzerland, it might be the same product you're selling, but you have to sell it in many different ways across those countries and cultures. So you've got to go in, even as a large company the size of Walmart, having a partner that can help educate you quickly on what those dynamics are what the watchouts could be or should be, and you then going back and figuring out how do I mitigate um, those risks and put myself in the best position to succeed is critical. But once again, it's working with partners. And you know, I'll tell you the other thing that we do, uh, best practice, you contact potential customers. It's amazing how much information you can get from a customer that you're possibly going to help. They'll tell you what they need, what they want, how they want it to be served up, what they see is their pitfalls to buying, and that will help you not only formulate what your value proposition is for that particular customer, but for that market more broadly. And I think people are, people are really skeptical to contact customers like that, but if you're an entrepreneur and you know, you're, you're eating what you kill, I say your time is well spent on the phone, contact those individuals that you're going to serve and potentially have as customers, 
as well as those individuals you may partner with from whatever standpoint, be it supply chain, be it HR or whatnot. When you talk about, you know, initially you said a lot of your clients actually came to the decision that in expanding was not the right, it was not the right time, not the right you know, effort to make. What were the biggest mistakes for the ones that did expand? So when you think about, okay, these are the pitfalls to avoid, especially for scaling companies that don't have a lot of resources. Exactly. You know, and not understanding that, you know, someone else, not understanding that you're a me too in the market, that you're making a product or service that currently exists. And if you don't have that true value proposition that differentiates you against those other me too's in the market, then why would a customer want to choose you? A, you're, you're a new entity. B, you're not proven locally. Those two things are strikes against you, which can really hurt. But if you go in um, and, you, and you have you build that street cred, that credibility, by taking the time to learn what are the specific um, value propositions and differentiators that you bring to the market, then you can be a lot more successful. And I would encourage every entrepreneur to think about that. And I know everybody talks about value propositions and how, how you match your market, but truly taking the time to learn the market you want to go into, the cultures, the people, the dynamics, the economics, the rules and regulations, you know, the regulatory environments are changing, are changing constantly within countries, let alone across many geographies. So those are some of the pitfalls that I've seen individuals and companies make when it comes to expansion. And that's both large and small. So it, it, it's a universal problem that I've seen that I find it, it, it's interesting to see that people still make the same mistake. But I, I, in my consulting practice, that's the first thing I would preach. Let's take the time to learn what's important and different about your product or service and how it can better serve that market relative to the current incumbents that are playing. So I know your answer to this is gonna be, it depends, but how much is enough time to spend to do that research? Mm-hmm. You know, it, on average, did you see the companies that were successful take a year? Is it a month? Is it, you know, how long before right. it's too long? What's the answer to that? No, it's a very good question. I promise I won't say it depends. What, <laughs> I, will, what I will say is you've got, you'll know when you have enough understanding. And you'll know that because you will have put the litmus test out there with enough competitors, customers, partners to then have you come back and aggregate and say, I think I have a compelling item, product, service that can do well in this market. And I'm going to put a concerted effort. You think about it, the biggest distraction, uh, or I should say the biggest attraction to management attention is being overstretched and overworked. Anytime you look to expand overseas you're, or anywhere, you're going to spend a lot of your, your bandwidth on that new idea, that new concept. And the other issue I've seen is people have lost sight of their current business. And that's what needs to grow and needs to maintain because that will then support international expansion. If you lose that sight, you're going to have a concern because the business is not going to do well. I would say have a close number two that you want to bring up with an organization to help you figure out this new market entry while someone is keeping his or her eye on the on the ball, meaning the core business. And the ancillary expansion is something that obviously you're going to put a, your, your blood, sweat, and tears into, but you need to bring somebody along on your team to help you really manage all the details associated with that. And Michael and I spoke about this, obviously, before this live session, but we wanted to, one of the things we spoke about is what do you outsource? How much of it do you outsource or how much of it do you spend time learning in-house? Because ultimately it's knowledge you need to successfully run your international uh, expansion strategies. So when you, when you think about what to outsource, I, I go back to my grandfather, who was uh, the, the wisest man with a seventh grade education, who was a farmer that I've ever met. And he told me, learn to do one thing well, and he didn't use these words, but he said, outsource everything else. <laughs> and, 
uh, I, don't, I can't use the words he used, but he, he basically said, of course, everything else. And when we had that conversation, it didn't make sense. But now when I think about it, when I, when I started my company and went to London, I didn't know, I didn't know how to get something as simple as phone service. I didn't know how to get something as simple as an office location. But you go to those, in, those people who are experts. If you're looking to grow your business outside the U.S., you have to look at supply chain. You have to look at regulatory. You have to look at finance. You have to look at all those functions that you take for granted once you're up and running. When you go overseas, they're going to be different. They're similar, but they're going to be nuanced. You have to take into account. And I would suggest work. There are consultants out there who help you with that. You know, the I'll, I'll tell you a short story. Um, I effectively used what we call in the U.S. the the Department of I just lost the name. I can't believe that. Help me with this, Janam. I hate that I just lost the name. It is the organization every city convention and visitors bureau. Every oh, city I, has I a convention. Help you with that. <laughs> okay, I'm glad you got it. Right. So if you think of that that department within every state. There's one of those in every country, and they were my greatest customer generator because I went to them and I said, "Here's what I'm looking to do," and they said, "Okay, great. We have people from the U.S. calling us all the time trying to do business here. We'll just direct them your way since you're the expert in doing so." And I would get lead generation calls from effectively the the UK Visitors Association Bureau on a weekly basis, and a lot of those turned into clients. So be very be very thoughtful and strategic on how you put your name out there. But there are ways to get effectively free lead generation, which is what I accomplished, by just telling people I can make your job easier because you don't know how to do that, but I'm learning how to do it. I'm managing it, so please share those aims with me, and I can help. Yeah, I mean, it's a common lesson of like just putting your hand up and saying I'm here, right? Correct. Helps establish that. Okay, so which is a great, perfect lead into my next question, which is the pandemic changed everything. You know, we are having this virtual conference. So many of our employees and staff around the world, as we've discussed in other sessions, no longer live in the in the place where we are headquartered. How does that affect international expansion? So obviously, you need somebody who knows the culture, you know, who knows the systems, who knows the way business works. But where do they need to be? I mean, could they be somebody no longer in the country? Is boots on the ground? Not not necessary for a best practice for international expansion anymore. You know, I would say you always have to get to boots on the ground, but the way you get there has changed and has been has changed dramatically because of the pandemic. You need to find a subject matter expert for that region. And I'll keep using UK as an example. If I found somebody in Italy who had just come from the UK who do that business, I would work with him or her to really understand the market. And hopefully, you know, the question you always ask, is there someone else I can talk to that would help me with the situation? They will get you to those people in country. But it's really taking time, whether it's Google searching, whether it's, you know, and it's something that I, I did, there's a term called co-opetition. And co-opetition is defined as you've got to cooperate to compete. So your competitors can be sources of information. And I had no problem calling people who were doing similar work saying, I'm not directly competing with you and your model, but I'm trying to grow this model. What are some of the pitfalls? What are some of the, the things that I need to know? And who are some of the people you work with to establish your business? And it's amazing how friendly competition is just that it's friendly competition. With the pandemic and this virtual, be it Zoom or Chime or Google Meets or whatever the environment is, people are more than willing to talk. And they realize the hindrances of not being face-to-face, but they also realize the benefits that you can get more done in a day when you're not traveling, as we've all experienced traveling from airports to hotels to meetings where you lose multiple hours in a day. You can get more done in a day by scheduling the correct number of calls and the correct people on the call than you ever could before. So I would say take advantage of that. I mean, they always say never waste a good a good crisis. And this crisis is one that has made 
made a lot of things easier and connectivity across countries, across, across states, across countries is so much easier now. And people are more than willing to reach out. I think that's that adds a, a layer of stress, at least that I feel, right? Because we can be so much more efficient. We're not stuck in traffic. We're not on a plane or a subway. You know, if are we using our time wisely? And I know that that's almost an added level of stress when you think about what you can accomplish these days. Put on your Walmart hat for us uh, and, and help us think about, you know, when Walmart evaluates its expansion strategy, how do you think about who, what, where, when? Obviously, you guys don't have to worry about marketing, right? You are the most well-known name, arguably, around the world. Mm -hmm. And so what are the things, you know, what are the things that come easy for you? And then what are the pitfalls for being a well-recognized name that's trying to expand internationally? Well, things that come easy, as you just mentioned, is brand recognition. You know, we can call, someone can call and say, I'm so-and-so from Walmart International. And you typically, either they'll answer the phone or they'll call you right back. That's the good side. The bad side of that is everybody's calling you. And everybody is trying to get on your calendar to have those conversations because they think they have the best solution or product or something for your shelf. Spending the time to vet those entities and really understand, knowing up front what you're looking for and what you think will make you successful, as I said before, doing that research, having the conversations, having your value proposition, knowing how you want to be differentiated in that market. Then when you receive these inbound calls um, from individuals that hear that you're looking to, to enter a market, you're, you're much more easily to say no. In, in strategy, as you very well know, it's really what you're going to do. More importantly, is what you're not going to do. Mm-hmm. And if you're clear on your strategy, then you can say, I've had four calls and they sound great, but that's not where I'm trying to go. Keep it in my file, but I'm not doing that right now. But these other three people that have been contacting me, they're more aligned with my strategy for entering this market. Therefore, I want to spend time and exploring and vetting what they're, what they're talking about. So, you know, I would say when, when Walmart looks to market expansion, it's, it's heavily partnership, but we have, we're, we have this phrase powered by Walmart. And that's something we bring. We, we bring the back end, we bring the knowledge, we bring the merchandising know-how, we bring all the operational experience, we bring those things. What we don't bring is in-market knowledge. And that's where we fall short. And that's where any entity would fall short in that regard. So we have to, even as Walmart, we have to leverage those individuals in market and go on through partnerships. That could be acquisition, that could be you know, a certain percentage ownership, whatever it looks like. But that's truly how we can go to market in the best way to ensure that we A, learn, and B, if it's not successful, we have a way out. And I would, that's one part that I wanted to talk about briefly, Janine, if you don't mind, but whenever I have an opportunity to enter a market, and when I'm working with one of my customers, I would always say, okay, let's assume this does not work. What is your, what is your fallback strategy? How do you exit the market? And I'd always get the funny head tilt dog look like, what are you talking about? Of course, but you have to think these things through because this is a major initiative. It's a major investment. And if you don't know what you're going to do, if things go south, then you'll do things that don't make sense. So it's not a long conversation, but it's definitely something you need to think about. And I'd have to say a number of my clients were, they were unfortunately happy that we talked about that. And they knew that when they hurt, either didn't hit certain benchmarks or hurdle rates, either financially or from a customer standpoint, they knew it was time to, to cut bait and, and make a decision. And I helped guide them through that. That's an important part of knowing not only strategically what you want to do going into the market, but if it does not work out, how do you exit in the most economical manner 
based on the, the ROI that you're expecting. And I think that must be so hard for people, right? Because you've already sunk in so much time, so much money, so much, so many resources. And then to say, okay, this is the line we've crossed and now we have to pull out. And that must be one of the hardest, much harder than thinking about expanding, I would guess. Right. And yeah. you, just, you just hit it. I mean, it's, it's, it's sunk cost. I mean, you said the words. I mean, that's B-School 101. <laughs> but it was, you know, it, it, at that point, it's money spent. You keep throwing good money after quote unquote bad money when you know it's not the right move. When you thought about where they should expand to, obviously, is language the most important thing or does that not matter anymore with technology? Is it proximity? Is it access to supply chains? Like if you had to rank certain things, what should our expanding uh, companies look for in terms of where they they should expand? And I'm thinking specifically of, you know, we have offices in the Middle East as they think about the larger markets or is it the market that's closest to them or it's most similar to them or uh, potentially easier to conquer because it's a smaller, more homogenous geography, for example? When you think about, in my opinion, when you think about where to go, obviously the language of business is important. And if you're if you're multilingual, then you have many more options than I did when I was looking to go. So that's key. Once you get in market, you will again, and I'm not, not trying to skirt the issue, but you'll understand once you learn the market and once you look at your product service and how you want to enter and your differentiation capabilities, you'll understand how to best enter the market. And whether it's starting small. I'll give an example. I had a service organization when I was in London, I had a service organization out of Minneapolis, Minnesota that was looking to expand. They had an acquisition and they, and part of that acquisition, a drag along was an office in the UK. And that office was outside the UK in a city I'd never heard of, maybe 20 miles from central London. And they couldn't get any traction. They couldn't get their, they couldn't get any brand recognition. They couldn't get customers. The one thing I told them was in order to do business in this market, you've got to have an address and a certain postcode. Because you are not considered successful until you have an office in this area. We set up a satellite office, got that address, changed all the marketing, all the website, all the materials. And all of a sudden, I started getting phone calls from people that wanted to work. with But it's simple things like that, that a company from Minnesota who just bought a company that had an office in the UK doesn't know until you get that information from somebody local. And then a small thing like an address and a phone change can do wonders for you. So I would just say it's, you know... In closing that question, it's really, what do you want to do? How do you see yourself best entering that market? And learning the market dynamics from those who have already done it and those who are there currently um, engaging, competing, wanting to buy from you. That's the, that's the, you know, having those open dialogue conversations is the best advice I can give. So to some, really take the time, leverage local resources, learn from your competitors and uh, cooperate. What was the word? <laughs> Co-opetition. It's a co-opetition. Book. Yeah, co-opetition is better than co-operate. Um, yes. And really, then focus on, especially in this day and age, finding the best resources to tackle the country, the region that may not even be in that country or region anymore with the access that we have through various video platforms. Minutes, Michael. I want to shift gears a little bit and take you by surprise. So, okay. uh, we've been oh. asking this question to some of our speakers: What is something people should know about you that's not Googleable? What is something people should know about you that's not Googleable? I love, so my, my biggest stress relief is cooking, believe it or not. And I have to say with the pandemic and having worked from home since March of last year, I've been able, I've been fortunate enough to expand on my cooking abilities. And, and, you know, what I've done is had an opportunity to spend time outdoors because Arkansas is wonderfully not as cold as where I've been recently. So I spend time out there and I've explored different cuisines. And to me, you know, while I, I miss traveling, I haven't, uh, 
I haven't gotten a passport stamp since summer, August of 19, not that I'm counting. But, <laughs> um, I take myself to those travels by finding recipes from different countries and I create those. And it's probably horrible, but if I ever get to go to those countries, I'll try it and see what it's like. But, but that's something about me that will never, hopefully will never be Google, but unless you can Google um, this conversation today. But, but my true love is cooking. Oh, I love that. My true love is eating. So we're going to compare those things match. There's a reason why we're connected today, Jim. It's true. Well, uh, Michael, thank you so much. First of all, obviously, Walmart such a big supporter of Endeavor Northwest Arkansas. You have been a fantastic mentor to both our local companies and our global companies. So I really want to thank you for your time. And I love having your experience as a founder. So you have started your own business doing this and focusing on international expansion and then obviously doing it for the biggest company in the world. So Thank you again, and uh, I look forward to seeing you in person sometime soon. <laughs> exactly. We can hopefully we'll finally meet face to face when 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 everything's when everything's better. Let's just put it that way. No when everything's better. Great. Everything's Thank, better. You. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Thanks for joining for this special summit feature. For more information on this episode and to find out how you can gain access to some of the content from our summit, head to the multiplier effect podcast.org. See you next week for an all-new episode focused on hiring for scale.